Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Hello, world. Welcome back to the Voyages of Tim Vetter Podcast. It is a beautiful, beautiful day here in Brooklyn, New York. I think it's like 73 degrees, uh, sunny skies. Oh, it feels great. It's like uh, a little Indian summer here at the end of uh, October. I love it. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Kira Batara. Really excited about this one. Uh, this is the second MMA fighter I've had on. Obviously, this is not a sports-centric podcast or an MMA podcast, but as I've always said, I just want to put you know, a positive message out into the world, and I want to have these interesting people who are living and doing interesting things, and Kira definitely fits that. Uh, for so long, when I was reading her name, I thought it was Kiara Batara. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that I did not slip up at all during this conversation. I always read it that way in my head. But uh, Kira is an atom weight. She's currently fighting for combate. We get into all that stuff. But I think that one of the reasons that I really love martial arts is that the lessons that you can take from martial arts are applicable to all sorts of things in life. I think that if you listen to any of these big time podcasts with someone like Joe Rogan, like he's always getting into the lessons that you can learn from jujitsu, uh, from, from martial arts in, in general, from MMA. And so hopefully, even if you're not a consumer of MMA or a fan of it, hopefully that you can, you can gain something from this conversation. I think that Kira has an interesting background and I think she's overcome some adversity. And she's really self-assured. She markets herself well. I think all of those things are, are good takeaways for a listener from you know any sort of demographic or anybody that's interested in anything, really. Right now, I'm actually reading a book called Presence, and it, it talks a lot about how to market yourself and present yourself and to be confident, and I think that Kira exudes those things. Definitely follow her on Instagram. She's always posting like positive, fun training videos. Uh, she's constantly smiling. Just, you know, the, the type of person that I love to, to feature on this podcast. So I'm really, really happy that she came on. Uh, we're just about, or I'm just about at a year. That's really exciting. Uh, I've, a lot of the people that I initially thought of to get on the podcast, I've been able to, to get and to cross off. You know, I was recently reading the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. And early on in that book, he talks about how he was running a I believe it was a college course. And one of the assignments was for people to reach out to these either Fortune 500 company executives and CEOs or people that were famous. And I believe, I'm really kind of paraphrasing here, uh, but I believe that he was offering up like an around the world plane ticket for anybody who was successful in, in reaching one of these people. And the first time he gave this assignment, no one was successful. And most people came up with excuses. And really what it boiled down to, it was fear. It was people who were afraid to reach out to that executive for sounding dumb or uh, seeming silly or unimportant or just being afraid of that rejection and that failure. And that's actually, failure is something that we talk about in this podcast. So hopefully you can gain something from that. But the connection to what I'm talking about is there are a lot of people that I initially thought of to have on the podcast when I was just dreaming about doing a podcast, and I've got them on. You know, uh, Jeffrey Eaton from Modern Life is War, who I had on uh, like two weeks ago, he was one of the first people. To be honest with you, Kira was also. You know, I was thinking in my head, like, I'm not going to be able to probably get George St. Pierre, right? 
But who's somebody that's up and coming that I draw inspiration from? And she's one of them. I had Graham Holiday on, who was like one of the first authors I thought to have on. John Hyam from 1080, uh, 1080 South. Um, oh my gosh, John Hyam, what did you write? 360 degrees longitude, sorry. And I don't know, it kind of proves the Tim Ferriss point correct. Like, just reach out, folks. Try. If there's something you want, try. For some of these people I've reached out to, you have no idea how long it took, like, follow-up email after follow-up email after follow-up email. This week, fingers crossed, I hate announcing these things, but this week I'm going to have Lee Syatt on. It's kind of like my one-year anniversary. That's so exciting for me. Lee Syatt is the producer for the Church of What's Happening Now. He did my consultation before the podcast. So it's been a great year. I've had some really amazing people on and uh, really excited to put this podcast today out into the universe. Uh, please check out Kira's videos. Um, check her out in December, her fight. Uh, I'll be rooting for her. And um, no, I, I, I really think she's, she's, she's someone who could be something. It's, it's the same with Grace. Like this selfish part of doing some of these podcasts is like, maybe I'm a little bit ahead of the curve. You know, Kira has a lot of content out there and we talk about that. She's been on the news. She's been on another podcast. She's got YouTube videos. Um, but I don't know. I haven't heard one this long. Like these long form podcast conversations are great. Like people can really elaborate on points that they make in, in other mediums. And, um, you know, maybe I'm a little bit ahead of the curve on this one and she's going to be a champion one day and we'll be able to look back at this conversation and maybe even at that point in the future when she's a champion, and she's been a champion, but I'm talking about a champion for the top two major organizations. Um, but maybe at that time, she'll come back on and maybe at that time, I'll be a champion in the podcast world. Who knows? So I hope you enjoy this one, folks. A little bit of business first. All right, we've been talking about them for the last couple of weeks, but... Energy Bits, please go, um, oh, just one episode back, uh, my conversation uh, with the CEO of Energy Bits. She's super fascinating, uh, and this is a great product. I do take it myself. I wouldn't talk about or endorse or promote anything that I wasn't interested in and, and anything, uh, if it's a, a food or a supplement, anything that I didn't consume myself. So what are Energy Bits? Energy Bits are algae-based food sources. It, I would want to call it a supplement, but really it's not a supplement. It's food. Uh, it looks like a supplement. They're in these sort of pill-shaped forms, but it's just really concentrated algae in, in the form of spirulina and chlorella. Now, what do these things do for you? They are super dense and packed with protein, omega-3s, B vitamins. Um, they have antioxidants. They are... Ecologically friendly, they grow in water. It's algae, folks. There's no carbon footprint. They are paleo. They're vegan. They're keto. Doesn't cause you any stomach problems. What I like to do with these is I actually like to take them at night. I wake up at 4.45 every morning to go to work to get there super early. And a lot of the mornings that I wake up, like I'm not really coherent for the first 45 minutes of my waking life. When I take these at night, I don't know. I... This isn't something that she suggested to me, but when, I feel like when I take them at night, when I come back from the gym, I'm more clear in the morning. I can't myself speak to the science behind that, but uh, it has worked for me. So energy bits as part of a healthy lifestyle, I think are really beneficial. And you don't have to be some super athlete. I'm not, right? 
pretty nerdy dude. I am into fitness and health, but, um, you know, I'm not an athlete and this is something that I do daily now. Uh, you can get 20% off if you use the promo code VETTER. How cool is that? V-E-T-T-E-R, VETTER. Use that promo code and you will get 20% off. Real quick, one other one that I want to talk about. Uh, they do not uh, endorse me per se, but I've had conversations with them and I've had their products. Wild Zora is the company. You can go to wildzora.com. It's Z-O-R-A, Wild Zora. They are meat and veggie bars. And the reason that I like them is because I've talked about this at length now, but when I travel, it's hard sometimes to get good nutrition depending on where you're going, especially if you have on a super long flight. Those meals are packed full of sodium and sugar to make them taste good. That bloats you. That kind of slows down your digestive process, which gets people in these you know weird states when they're traveling. And um, they're not expensive. And when you go to an airport or something like that and you want a snack or something like that, when you go to an airport and you want a snack, often they jack up the prices because that's the only thing that's there and that's available to you. So check out Wild Zora. They've got awesome flavors. They've got a taco flavored one. They have um, a, a curry flavor, a Mediterranean flavor, and they have chicken, pork, beef, lamb. And these are totally organic, grass-fed meats, organic vegetables, no fillers, additives, or any of the junk that you wouldn't want to have. And hey, if you're a fighter, I would think, or an athlete of any sort, that these would be good for you too. Um, You know, in between uh, training sessions, a quick meal, caloric intake, and super healthy stuff. And they taste really, really good. Thank you, Wild Zora. You guys are awesome. And they're based out of Colorado. Okay, Awesome. So excited to get this to you. Kira Batara, the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for an amazing year. I love you and thank you for listening. Kira Batara on the line. Kira, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. So I first found out about you, I guess about a year ago. Um, I went down one of those like social media rabbit holes where I have a lot of people that uh, I fill my Instagram feed with that kind of motivate me from all sorts of mediums. And so I was clicking around like MMA person, MMA person, and I, and I came across your profile. And I think that uh, your message and your attitude and what you put out into the world is something that uh, is really inspiring for me. And so I'm glad that you could come on today and that we could reach people. Oh, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I don't like to always claim myself as, hey, I'm Kira, I'm an MMA fighter. <laughs> so I definitely agree with that. Um, that I'm glad that you'd say that you, you like my message and everything. Uh, I have been training for a long time now, so definitely trying to spread my message through through my talent, and I feel like that's a great outlet to have. Awesome. So let's start off, I guess, uh, when you did start out in combat sports. You first started with wrestling when you were younger, is that correct? I actually started with jujitsu over at uh, Team Quest. 
with oh, okay. my dad. That's how I started. But you wrestled when you were a young teen and in high school. Is that true? I did. Um, eight, a cheerleader. I was a dancer in eighth grade, and my cheer coach walked out on the team. Just said she couldn't take it anymore. Girls that would disrespect her weren't paying attention in practice, and she just got fed up with it. And uh, out of respect for her, me and my best friend walked out with her. Wow. And uh, after that, my my dad told me, "Look, you need a sport. You need to do something. I'm not going to have you go through summer and not be doing anything." Uh, and so with that, I, I was like, "Well, I don't know. It's summertime. I'm not going to have any clubs. There's no." sport for me to take and he goes well how about you come with me to team quest i just started training at this martial arts gym i think it'd be really important for you to learn self-defense come in try it out see how you like it and uh that's how i originally started back in 2008 wow very cool and when you were doing grappling and wrestling when you were younger those were all male divisions right they were yes so uh i i got into the gym and I was the only girl on the mat. I was too old to be in the kids' class. I was going into high school, and I was still one of the youngest in the adult class, but I was the only girl. And so everyone looked or, looked at me, didn't want to partner with me, and so my dad goes, oh, I'll partner with you. We'll be partners. And I was always a huge daddy's girl growing up, so it, was, it meant a lot to me to be able to spend that quality time with him, uh, learn a new craft, and uh, really progress on something with him. And so when I started learning jujitsu, I, I quickly fell in love with it. I, I loved the art form of it. I loved being able to take my, my cheer background with knowing how um, the body works and understanding my body movement in order to break someone's arm and choke <laughs> them out. And so I thought that was really cool. And um, my dad would come home after the gym. We'd uh, research YouTube videos. That's how we discovered Eddie Bravo. And we just study and we just became so obsessed with it. And after a few times going there for a few months, people started to notice me that I was going there a lot more, that I was progressing a lot faster than the average students. And so then people were starting to finally give me a chance. Uh, my, my coach told me to register for the first tournament coming up after only three months of training. And like you said, it was only guys at the time. So I was 112, went into the tournament. It was 160 and under for teenage boys. Whoa. And I was the only girl in that bracket. It was a five-man bracket, only girl, 160 and under, one of the lightest ones in there. And uh, the first match I had, I armbarred the kid in like a minute. And it was the best feeling in the world. I had done sports all growing up. Um, I was a Girl Scout. I was a cheerleader, a dancer, basketball, track, soccer, you name it. I, I tried it. And this is the first time that I felt the the one thing that I was like, this is what I was supposed to do. This is the sport I want to do. I This is the incredible feeling. I felt so empowered being the only female on the mat. And uh, I ended up taking second place at that tournament. I only lost one boy by points. But uh, after that, that's when I was like, I think this is what I want to do. I want to invest my time into mixed martial arts. I want to learn everything and keep competing. Yeah. There, wow. There's a lot that I want to unpack from that. Um, I guess for listeners too, a lot of your early grappling videos, I think you've put some of those online and other people have put those online. So you can see those. And in some of them, you can see that you're definitely undersized when you're going up against some boys. Um, mm -hmm. But you completely, <laughs> completely dominated a lot of your opponents. <laughs> 
Um, so I recommend people check that on on YouTube. But you've also talked before about how when you were a teen, you went through a lot of bullying. Was that because you were involved in combat sports? Uh, it was. Uh, see, I, I think as, as a cheerleader, it's the status quo of what you're supposed to do in middle school. You're supposed to be that that pretty girl that gets their hair done, wears the designer brands, hangs out with the jock, with the football boyfriend, and being in the in the in crowd. And that's how I always saw it when I was in middle school. I was like, I need to be this this person where people are going to look up to me if I'm this uh, cheerleader that has everything going for me with um, my performances, my hair always done, my makeup done, dating the football player. And that's what I thought success was at that age. That's what I thought that I needed to do. And um, I was always very insecure. I always felt that um, I was never enough. And um, when I started martial arts, I, I finally felt like this is, what I want. I finally felt happy. I finally felt great in my own skin. I was going to school in sweatpants and t-shirts and didn't care what my hair looked like. I chopped off all my hair, finally did what I wanted. I dyed it red and purple and I was just happy being myself. And, um, people weren't accepting of that. I was the only girl on the wrestling team and people would say, Oh, she's a lesbian. And Oh, she, she's doing that just to get attention. And, uh, look at the way she dresses. So just constantly, like, all these negative, negative things. And um, I'd even have boys push me into lockers, Jesus. tell me, oh, I, you think you're so tough going against these boys. I dare you to fight me. And I'd have football players betting $200 bets, like, oh, I bet you couldn't what? beat me up and choke me like I was at my locker, like, oh opening my, my locker. And people would snatch on a choke and be like, oh, I bet you can't get out of this. And it was just got to be so much. And it's like people just try so much to prove. And I was I was over it real quick. I was like, look, I, I know I love I love wrestling. I love jujitsu. I love martial arts. I'm not going to let these people influence me to stop doing it just because they're more accepting of me being a cheerleader when I wasn't happy. I know I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to keep wrestling. And in order for me to do that, I need to cut out that negativity in my life. So after my freshman year, I told my parents, I'm done with public school. Um, I did home-based schooling for my sophomore, junior year. And then senior year, I was strictly online schooling with uh, college courses. So I feel like that that helped me a lot um, to beat bullying, just focusing on my goals and having that family support. Wow. Where do you think the confidence to make those decisions came from? Because, I mean, thinking back to when I was a teenager, I'd think that if something was difficult or if I faced adversity like that, as a young person, the thing that makes most sense at the time is to kind of run away from it and avoid it. And I would think that a lot of people, the solution then would be like, well, then I'm going to, I'm going to stop grappling. I'm going to stop doing jujitsu because then all of this will go away. Like, do you chalk that up to having a good foundation with your parents? I definitely think so. Um, honestly, the mixed martial arts is what, what saved me, like just being in the gym with so many people that were, were older than me, all my friends were in their late 20s, early 30s. They were my coaches. They were my teammates. So these are the people I was surrounded with. Um, and I, I would tell them stories about what was happening at school. And I feel like just being in 
involved with that kind of crowd where they're after the same goals as me, that they're in the gym, that they're older, more experienced, they know uh, they've been there before, they've been bullied before, that they had a really big influence on me when, when these things happened. And they said, look, like maybe you want to be homeschooled. And so they're the ones that gave me the idea. And uh, with my family always being super supportive since forever, uh, they they agreed with it. And so, you know, at that age, at, at, as a teenager, you don't always want to listen to your parents. So when your parents are like, maybe you should be homeschooled. But as uh, my friends at the at the gym were telling me the same thing, it's like, okay, I think this is what I want to do. I'm really good at jujitsu. I really want to invest time in it. I want to follow my dreams and I want to get done with school. I don't want to have this negativity in my life. And so having all those people in my life that were able to support uh, support me. That's what helped a lot and figuring out what I really needed to do. Wow. That's really cool. Uh, I think that there are a lot of, uh, that's one of the reasons why I like martial arts is because I think that there are a lot of lessons that you can take from it that are like applicable to, you know, other areas of your life. Um, all right. So maybe on a, I mean, that's inspirational, but maybe on a little more of a silly positive note, where does, the name or how did you get the nickname Mogwai and who, who gave that to you? <laughs> um, I had just graduated and I was preparing for my first MMA fight and I've always been 10th planet, but I've never trained at 10th planet gym in uh, Washington where I lived. And so I always had to go to LA to go train at 10th planet. And being that I was getting ready for my first MMA fight, I knew like, this is the first trip I need to take on my own, go to LA, train with 10th Planet, and get ready for my fight. So I went down to LA and I was training with Scott Epstein over in West LA. And we were just driving to the gym one day and he goes, Mogwai or Gizmo? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, we're just going. And he's like, no, just answer Mogwai or Gizmo. And I was like, well, well I mean, my, my grandma's dog's name is Gizmo. So I guess Mogwai. And I had no idea what he was talking about. But I was like, okay, Mogwai. And he was like, that's your new fight name. And I was like, what? And he goes, it's because you're cute and little. But when you get into uh, under those bright lights, you turn into a gremlin. Oh, that's perfect. And so I was like, oh, I love that. And so that that's always stuck ever since before my first MMA fight, I was fortunate enough to get a solid fight name that definitely stuck. Yeah, I dig it. Um, so you mentioned, so you've, you train out of 10th Planet. I'm sure that anybody from, you know, the jiu-jitsu and martial arts world that's listening knows that the, the gyms are, are Eddie Bravo's gyms. And you mentioned that you and your dad had been watching Eddie Bravo videos. And then you go from that to him actually cornering you, right? Like, so how did you get linked up with Eddie? That's where I was also just very blessed with uh, the way timing and meeting him worked. But uh, I was competing, like I said, after my first tournament, I just became obsessed with it. And so after that tournament, I was competing all the time. Almost every single weekend, me and my brother had a tournament. And we were just smashing through everyone. It was it was almost hard to find competition. So we were doing all the local Washington and even Oregon tournaments. And uh, at that point, we're about almost a year deep in jujitsu and I'm already competing at the advanced level with less than a year experience under my belt. And at that point, my mom, after doing research for all those tournaments goes, what do you guys think about doing an out of state tournament? Um, like traveling for an actual tournament, uh, doing a national level tournament. And right away, me and my brother are super competitive. And so we're like, yeah, let's do it. There's no competition here. We, we want to do, we want to have big titles. 
Mm. And uh, so my mom registered us for our first uh, kids' world's tournament. So it was a world title. And um, it was in L.A., which was right by Eddie's gym. And um, my boxing coach's uh, fighter, George Sotaropoulos, he trained at the same gym as me. We told him we were going to L.A. And he goes, oh, I train with Eddie all the time in L.A. So just make sure you tell him I sent you when uh, you guys go down there. And I was like, oh, you actually, like, we could go train with him? Like, we can just do that? And he was like, yeah, of course. Just go down there. Tell him I sent you. And so I was so excited. Like, oh, I'm finally going to be able to train with the guy that I've been looking up to for all these months that I've been studying all his YouTube videos. And so as soon as we got to L.A., the first thing we did was go to Eddie's gym. And uh, at this time, it was um, at the same spot as, like, it was like uh it was like a strip club in the bottom. Like there was like strippers like working on the pool dancing. So that was like, wait, we're walking into a gym. So there's all (laughs) these like holes, like at the bottom, you have to walk up these stairs to go to the gym. And it was all, it was really weird. And I was like, I don't know what we're getting ourselves into. And, uh, so then we walked upstairs, we get to the gym and all like, it's just a different vibe. It was like no other gym I've ever been into. It was really dark. All the guys are going super hard. Everyone's sweating and everyone looks super serious. I was so nervous and um, then Eddie was there and right away big smile happy to have me and my brother and uh, I ended up rolling with him he let me roll with him the first day that we were there and uh, after I, I asked him I was like hey I just wanted to I was wondering if you'd be willing to corner me tomorrow I'm doing the kids world this is my first big tournament but I really look up to you and it would mean a lot to me if you would come corner me and I didn't think much of it like I just like oh I might as well ask but he was like, yeah, of course I'd corner you. I'd love to corner you. And so he, sure enough, um, I was like kind of not expecting him the next day. Like I didn't want to get my hopes up thinking maybe he's a busy guy. I don't know if he's going to show up. But the next day he showed up and that, that was the best performance I ever had. Uh, I walked away with my uh, first world title without even being scored on and he just thought that me and my brother were incredible. He just saw so much potential in us. And at that point, he told me, Kira, you're going to be a champion one day. And he was the first person ever to tell me, you're going to be a champion one day. And to have someone that you look up to with such a great name like Eddie Bravo, it just meant the world to me. And uh, we exchanged numbers. And after that, he just stayed in contact with me. He helped me through wrestling season. He's always been a huge influence on me and helped me through a lot of hard times through high school. But He's always been there, and I always know that he'll corner me anytime that he can. Wow. First of all, that's awesome of Eddie. Um, I love yeah. that, I love that like self-actualization type of thing where it's like, I mean, I, I deal with this a lot with the podcast, and it's like, well, there's somebody that I really want to meet or I really want to see, and if, if you put in the work and you're persistent, it's amazing what can happen, you know, when you think that that it really can't happen like that, that that's really really cool that Eddie did that um yeah no a lot of people with it with his background with him being known as like a pothead and like the way he is and then this is back in like 2008 so this is when he was not even like married or anything so he was just kind of known as like a bad guy if you're a traditional jujitsu guy and so for him to do that was just incredible and he has such a big heart and I'm, I'm so fortunate that he was able to do that for me and be there in my life. Has he ever talked to you about conspiracy theories? <laughs> no, we can't stay <laughs> away from those. I'm like, I don't know if I can handle all that. <laughs> okay. Um, 
Has he ever invited you, or, or would you ever consider doing um, an EBI event? I think there's one today, but has uh, would you do a grappling event for EBI? Yeah, there is actually an EBI event today, and he, me and Eddie have a very great connection, a uh, great relationship. And so he was actually uh, put me on as the first female match for EBI uh, about two years ago. Oh, wow. That was the first female match. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Um, I wanted to talk to you about, uh, you've already talked about adversity, but I want to talk about, I guess, failure, which is maybe like a hard word to use, but, um, and I have some follow-ups to this, but two years ago, or, or two fights ago, I'm sorry, you fought Verizon and you fought in Japan. Mm-hmm. And you can see that video too online. You fought, um, if I'm pronouncing correctly, Murata, and she was super tough. Um, you know, obviously Ryzen, they use a ring, they don't use a cage, they allow for knees on the ground, um, which most of the promotions in the States don't allow for. Uh, they have a different, a little bit different scoring, like they score for damage. Um, so there's a lot of things that coming out of a loss, you could use as excuses. I'm wondering like what your approach to failure essentially is, right? Cause I'm considering a loss, I guess, like failing at that endeavor, like what your approach to failure is and, and how you come back from that because you did come back and you, you dominated in your next fight. Uh, one of my favorite people in the world that I always study and look up to is Tony Robbins. Okay. And, cool. um, I, I study him a lot and he, I was actually just listening to one of his videos yesterday when I was doing cardio and then, one thing that he says is the people with the most success also have the most failures mm. and you can't be successful without failure first. And so, um, he goes on to, to saying how, uh, in order to be great, like you have to try. And so many people think like, I just want success. I just want to be great. I just want to be rich. I just want to have this, 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 but not enough people execute it in order to, to reach that, to reach failure before reaching success. And so I look at everything like that. Um, anytime I fail, I'm like, this is just me being one step closer to success. Uh, this is a learning experience. I, I take all of my losses as lessons. Um, I never really uh, see my, my losses as losses. I don't let them hold me down. I look to see uh, what I did wrong in that situation. And ever since, like I, the, those things that happened during those losses has never happened again. Uh, I had one loss by a bad weight cut. Uh, I I made sure I make weight every time now. Um, I had one loss because um, it was bad judges. I even had the the, um, CEO of the promotion come in my room right after the fight saying that was a BS call. I can't believe that happened. That was the the Skinner fight? In the hands of the judges. (laughs) And so I feel like all these losses I've had have really been lessons for me. And now I'm 4-0 under the combate banner. I'm going in for my first ever professional title shot um, coming up in December. So I feel like everything just comes into play with the right timing and after you've had those those failures in your life. Awesome. Um, so I was curious about also with Ryzen, um, just fighting in Japan, like aside from the actual fight itself, but what, like, what about the process of fighting in Japan was different? I, I've always heard and, you know, I've watched events overseas in Southeast Asia and in, in East Asia. And, um, I guess like the stereotype is that the crowd is a little more silent. They're like, 
they're not rowdy. They really understand what's happening, even if it's like a slow, um, like mostly uh, grappling type of a fight. Um, what what was the experience of fighting in Japan like for you? Honestly, it was like a whole new world. It was it was crazy. I mean, I've never even traveled that far before. And they had me three days before my fight out there. Whoa. And so I, I flew out there and it was the longest flight of my life. And then as soon as we got there, I'm still cutting weight. And so I'm trying to look at all the uh, stores, trying to see what I could eat. Everything's in Japanese. So I'm like, I don't even know what this is. I don't know if I can eat it. And uh, so the first thing I do is like, okay, well, I can eat hard boiled eggs. Let's go to the little market and get hard boiled eggs. So my coach and my mom are ordering these, like, my my coach ordered this giant burger. My mom ordered, like, this huge plate of nachos. It looks delicious. <laughs> and I went to the market for, like, these individual eggs. So I had these little plastic containers, all these individual eggs. And I got, like, six of them for my hard-boiled eggs. It's the only thing I can eat two days before weigh-ins. And um, so everyone's eating, and I go to crack open my egg and peel it. I crack it open, and it's still just a raw egg. What? It's like, who sells, who sells individual eggs? <laughs> <laughs> I was so confused, and I was just mad because my coach is eating this burger, my mom's eating nachos, and I have all these raw eggs in front of me. But um, the whole experience alone, like the, I have a bunch of stories like that in Japan, but um, at the commission was different. And so dealing with all that, and then this is the first time where they I experienced the, the early weigh-ins and then doing the later weigh-ins after and the mock weigh-ins. So I already weighed in, but when you step on the scale in front of everyone, uh, we had our own translator there. So we had to translate everything to me. And uh, also, I don't, if you guys haven't seen the, the Ryzen shows, they're incredible. They invest so much in these shows. But they have this huge walkway when you come out, and they lift you up in this, uh, like, cylinder, kind of like they would in, like, a Britney Spears concert or something. So you're underground, and they lift you up, and you're in this uh, multicolored light cylinder, and then you walk down this huge catwalk to, to get to the ring. And um, so normally I have a really good fight warm up right before my fights. I have a good 30 minutes to get a good sweat going right before that. But this is the first time that they had us do this huge parade lasts 30 minutes. And right after the parade, they go, Oh, you're in the cylinder next. You're going to fight first. And oh. I was just confused. The communication was bad. And so I went out there and I was waiting in the cylinder to pop up on stage. I thought I was going to be like, performing at a concert <laughs> but i went out there and then uh walked to the ring and the refs all spoke japanese and i even got cautioned if you guys want to watch that video on youtube in the first round they bring me in my corner and i was being cautioned and he was speaking to me in japanese and i had no idea what he was saying and so just the rules and everything they told me at the rules meeting that um uh if it goes to the ring that they would restart it in the center and uh, you could use the cage to pressure off of it. And the whole time, they, my whole body's going under the ring. Anytime my foot would touch the ring, somebody on the outside would push my foot off the ring. And it was just a really weird fight. It was, an, it was a different experience. I was a little frustrated with the outcome on just how everything worked. But, I mean, like I said, it was a lesson learned. And it was really great being in Japan and just experiencing that, experiencing the crowd being silent. You could hear a pen drop. And so every punch that connected, you just heard perfectly. Uh, but one of the really cool things that I took from that fight is um, 
the the fighter that I looked up to the most growing up was Vanderlei Silva. Oh, awesome. And me and my dad always watched his fights. So he was the one guy that I was like, yes, we need to watch his fights, always cheering for him. Well, he was sitting front row for my fight. And like I said, the crowd is dead silent. And so he was actually cheering for me in that fight. He was coaching me. I could hear him ringside. Oh, kick the leg. Hit the one, two. Kick the... And so he's just coaching me. And I'm just like trying not to fangirl while I'm in in the middle of a fight. But I mean, it was the greatest thing of my life. Like that was a dream come true to have my hero like being right there cornering me for a fight. That's awesome. I was thinking that too when I was watching the video. There were a few instances where she you know, you were falling through the ropes and like you do see like there's a guy that kind of holds them steady to kind of keep your body weight steady on it. It's kind of bizarre. Like, and and they didn't reset in the middle at all. It is kind of a strange scenario. No, yeah, I was really frustrated with that. That was difficult, especially being, I'm a natural 105er and this was at 115. So she was already bigger than me. And then as soon as I was sliding through the ropes, I was getting so frustrated. Yeah. Um, you, you've talked about this a lot, but um, I know that your desire is to stay at 105. Uh, obviously, the two major promotions don't have an atom weight division right now. Um, you are fighting for uh, Combate, and Invicta does have an atom weight uh, division. Um, is there anything in terms of trying to market yourself or any sort of a strategy? Does it make sense to try to get Invicta's attention? I know that obviously they're in a, in a sense they're kind of his subsidiary to the UFC, but Combate is also because they're you know they're on Fight Pass. I think they have a connection to the UFC through the original founders as well. Do you think about that at all, or is it just you know fight until they open an atom weight division? Like, what is your your long term plan? My take on it is that Invicta is hyped up way more than they should be. Hmm. I understand that they have the best girls in that division, but right now Jin Yu is ranked at the top. And so is, um, I'm spacing on her name right now, but, um, the other girl that's ranked number one, she's fighting in Japan for dream. And is, that's where, is that Hamasaki? Uh, Jin Yu, yeah. And that's where she's fighting next. And so it's like, okay, if Invicta is the best and then the number one girls in Japan and they're letting Jin Yu fight for the belt in Japan. Um, how good is Invicta? Why can't Invicta bring her to um, to fight for Jin Yu? Hmm. And so these girls all the time, you see KGB, like she's fighting for LFA as well. All these girls constantly need other fights and other promotions that are also side with Invicta. And um, I, I think Kabate is making really big moves right now. And they're willing to, to have girls from other come to us. So I do still get that um, exposure with uh, the girls ranked in the top 10. And so far, every fight that I've asked for, I've always ranked uh, asked to fight girls in the top 20. And so I'm always trying to challenge myself. I, that's the only reason I would want to go to Invicta is in order to fight those girls. But I'm so happy with Combate, and they've already told me that they're willing to bring those girls into our promotion so I could stay with them. And right now, it's just such a great fit for me. I'm happy with pay. I'm happy with the exposure. Uh, They market me like crazy. You see the marketing for Invicta versus the marketing they do for me. Uh, They were just, uh, they're flying people out to Miami to do press conferences and doing uh, all kinds of video shoots for me, photo shoots for me. And so I'm really happy with them right now. My whole goal is um, I have my title fight December 1st, get the belt with them. I want to prove myself at 105 beat the best at 105 
And after I'm the best at 105, I, I eventually want to move to 115 and take over on 115 as well. I'm still really young. I just turned 23, so I know I have a, a whole lot of time ahead of me. But honestly, uh, with the way that UFC is going right now, having the 125 division, I, I think it's just a matter of time before 105 opens up. I, I guarantee within a year or two, 105 will open up for them. Yeah, Jesus, I'm 31 now. So the, the thought of being 23 and doing something of this magnitude is is, <laughs> is insane to me. Um, but that's a really good point too. You know, when I prepare for these podcasts, I try to, I don't want to be boring. So I look at a lot of information about all the people that come on and you have a ton of content. And I guess oh, I didn't yeah. realize that like Combate was kind of behind that. Um, I think that in... In like Mexico and Central America, I think they're shown on NBC. Is that true? I'm sorry, what was the question? I think that they're shown on NBC in um, Latin American countries. Oh, yes. Uh, we're on Azteca TV and also NBC Universo, but this last site was also on ESPN3. So we're constantly branding ourselves and opening our, ourselves up for new promotions. And um, so we're actually moving. So this next card will be in Cancun. So this will be our first oh, out-of-country wow. fight. And then we'll have, uh, in March, we're moving to Spain as well. So that fight in Cancun in December, that's what you're fighting on? No, Cancun will be November. That's going to be Campbell's bringing back the tournament style for MMA. He's oh, having wow. a 135-man tournament, and it's three fights in one night for $100,000. Whoa. I'll, yeah, I'll be on the El Paso card, though, December 1st. Okay. And you're completely healthy right now? I know that you were nursing an injury. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's what's great about Combate too. I, I got her, I got, I pulled on my fight, and the first thing they did is, what do you need for us to make sure that you're 100%? So they paid for me to see the specialist that all the UFC fighters go to. They paid for my MRI twice because Whoa. they messed up on the first one. Wow. And now they're paying for all my uh, rehab to make sure that I'm all better for this next fight. Oh, man, that's huge. Um, yeah, the support I get from them is incredible. So like I said, Invicta would never do that for their fighters. So I, I just am so happy with, to, to be able to fight for them. And Campbell McLaren's a great boss to have. You talked about branding. I think that, um, I think this is one of the things that kind of draws people to your social media. I think you're really smart about branding yourself in the sense that with, even with high level combat sports, there's a lot of like posturing, a lot of tough guy stuff, a lot of look at me type of stuff. And you have a really positive message um, that I think speaks to people again in combat sports and outside of combat sports. Do you think about marketability in the message you put out or are you just, just being you and, and, and not, not trying to brand yourself? Honestly, I'm just being me. A lot of people have given me compliments with that. Um, Combate has actually given classes to fighters wow. on how to market themselves. But Combate has always, like, given me a free pass on it. They're like, oh, you don't need to take the class. You don't need to go in for the call because you're already good. But I've, I've never done any, like, marketing classes or anything. And um, But everyone's always complimented me so much on that. And honestly, I'm just doing, I'm, I'm being completely genuine, being myself. Um, like I said, I don't want to be known as a fighter. So, yeah, I'm putting my MMA stuff out there, but I'm also just showing them like, look, I'm, this is what I do with my family. These are my crazy dogs. These are the dance videos I love doing because, yeah, I'm going to dance in my free time. I don't want to spend all my time just getting punched in the face. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, 
uh, time to, to see what my posts because some of my posts will see more of a motivational speech, uh, more others. But um, other than that, it's completely genuine, and I just want to make sure that every every post I make is reaching out to more than just fans, and I'm reaching out to everyone, to the fitness person or just the mom at home or the girl that I met at the grocery store that kind of wanted to be a dancer and didn't believe in herself. I just want to reach out to anyone and be able to uh, influence people to just follow their dreams and stay passionate. And um, one of the other things, you see that kids these days have all these social media. And uh, I coach kids for a UFC gym, and I also help coach with the wrestling team. And so I have five-year-olds, five-year-olds. They're like, oh, Coach Kira, I follow you on Instagram. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're five. (laughs) That's one of the the other things that I'm always making sure. I'm always making sure that um, all of my my posts can – um, be uh, read towards everyone. My my grandpa could read my post. The five-year-old kid could read my post. So I'm never going to post anything that's inappropriate. And that's the kind of person I am. Like, I'm never going to be that type of person where it's like, oh, I don't know if you should say that around these people. But um, that's just how I was raised. I was a Girl Scout forever. So I think that everything's completely genuine. Yeah, and it's smart. I mean, MMA is still such a new sport. Obviously, with the UFC selling for $4 billion, it points that it's a, a, a major sports and entertainment business. But there's still so many untapped markets that can be tapped into. And I think that, you know, unique personalities are important to consumers, for better or for worse. You know, maybe it shouldn't have a place inside of martial arts, but it totally does. Like, Damien Maya can go and did go on a much longer win streak than like a Conor McGregor, but Conor McGregor's unique personality is what makes him such like a marketable global star. And I think especially in the women's division, just because there's, they're newer to the masses, at least to consumers. I think that there's so much room for, um, for unique personalities to, to rise up and become stars. And I do think that, you know, obviously the UFC's bottom dollar is making dollars, and I think that, um, you know, unique personalities are, are what they're seeking. So I think that I, I say this honestly, that you, you know, if you keep doing what you're doing, I could definitely see you getting signed by a major organization and having like a really fruitful career. Um, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's hard. You see how many fighters there are. You're competing with how many people in your division, as well as just how many fighters are out there in general. And so you have to market yourself and brand yourself. And what makes you different? What makes you special that people are going to want to follow you and not the next person. So I think that's a definitely like important thing to think about when you're branding yourself. And it's worked out pretty well for you so far. No, I've seen, uh, at least on like on your Instagram account that you, you do get a fair amount of, um, businesses that are interested in you. Oh yeah. I think it's been great so far. Cool. Um, kind of on the flip side of that, and I don't want to harp on this too much, but there's a question from it. Uh, your last fight was against Fernandez um, that you hit like a, a nasty uh, mounted armbar. Uh, prior to that fight, uh, there had been the fight that, that fell out. There was the weight cutting issue. I mean, that's well documented. You've talked about it. Um, but then like she had said a bunch of nasty stuff online. At the weigh-in, she kind of pushed her forehead into yours. I'm just wondering, mm-hmm. with, with a situation like that, um, is it added motivation to beat someone who's being kind of shitty towards you or does that not play a factor into the actual performance at all? 
I try not to. I mean, you're always going to get people like that. And if you saw the way in video, like she was aggressive. She pushed me with her forehead. I got off balance. I was just not expecting it. And so she did that. I just smiled. Like, what can you do when someone's mad at you and yelling at you? You have two options. You can either fight back or just let it go. And I let it go. I was like, okay, I can either push you back and make a huge scene or I could smile and when I smile I could tell like I could see her eyes change like oh this girl's not getting mad it freaks her out more than it freaks me out that she's bullying me I'm like this isn't doing anything so she's fighting with all these emotions you see in her post talking smack to me on social media getting all up in my face so she's fighting with so much emotion being pissed off and just wanting to rip my face off and me I walk into every single fight like I'm going against the best in the world that I'm going against the number one spot in the world and if I win that's me being one step closer to being the one number one spot in the world and so I'm like I don't care who you are what you say I'm not going to talk smack on social media I know I'm the best I know I'm going to be the best and so I'm just going to act like this is the best this is the most important fight of my life so I I never let those things play factor in in uh, any of my matches but I think that's come with so much experience with wrestling and jiu-jitsu almost every weekend so it just became so normal to me to to have that competition level and um, I'm a very emotional person as it is so when I fight with emotion I just can't do it so I put my emotions aside say this is what I'm going after and that's what I do you talked about how you, you drilled that move over and over. Was that something that you had seen in watching tape um, specifically for Fernandez, or was it just like when it happened, you saw it and you pounced on it? Uh, that's another thing about my fight camps. I, I don't like studying footage. Uh, I let my coaches study footage. My mom, she's my, my momager, my mom and my mom's <laughs> manager. Um, but uh, she does a lot of studying for me. So, I mean, she'll tell my coaches what I need to work on and what I should do. But um, honestly, all, all my training is to better myself. I'm never um, targeting towards preparing for one person. You see so many times fighters getting injured, so opponent switching or um, them coming out with a different style. So I'd hate to just try to mock exactly what I need to do in order to, to beat the person they were in the last fight when I could just be a one uh, 10% better fighter than I was my last fight. And then it's unstoppable. I know that nobody could stop my takedowns. I know nobody has better jujitsu than me at 105. And so it's like, I'm not going to prepare for this girl that has a black belt in judo and really strong hands and then take away from my strengths. And so I know that I'm great at arm bars. And I'm like, I don't care what your background is. I have better jujitsu. I have Eddie Bravo cornering me that's backing me up on this. And I I just believe in myself. I know that I'm going to get this arm bar. So I visualize everything. I, I visualize training. I do visualization training almost as much as I do and I just kept saying, I'm going to get this arm bar. I'm going to get this arm bar. So that's what I told my dad. I was like, I need to drill this every night. And sure enough, that's the one move that I hit. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Like what you can visualize and make come true. Wow. I love that. And you talked about your takedowns again. Like I totally recommend that people go check you out. Cause even back to your, your days as a teen in grappling competitions, um, like your, your slams are awesome. And I think in your first pro fight too, was it, what was her name? Wong? Julia Jones. Okay. Um, maybe I'm thinking of, hold on. Oh, Melissa Wong. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that was my second Amy. Okay. Yeah. But um, 
a beautiful slam in that one too. I love watching. It's like, it really is like watching art. That's why I love, I love watching, um, you know, people love slugfests, but some, and, and that is, I mean, that is really fun sometimes, but I do love like, just like the art of grappling competitions is really cool to me. Oh yeah. And that, that's awesome that you say that because I, it's so unfortunate how, how many MMA fans are so uneducated on jujitsu that you get a beautiful jujitsu match in MMA and people are like, stand it up, stop cuddling. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you don't even appreciate the amazing jujitsu transitions that are going on right now. Like these transitions are really hard to do in a, in an MMA fight. And people are just like right away. Like they just want to see people getting punched in the face. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's something that hardcore fans, you know, recognize more so than people who are casually yeah. watching like the spectacle of a fight. Um, oh, completely agreed. Yeah. All right. I had a couple quick, like silly questions for you here. Uh, you've talked, I love that you're, you're so honest and like appreciative of food. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that's refreshing. I do have for this podcast, I have a uh, health supplement sponsors and fighters are always posting health supplements and things like that. But like, you know, at the end of the day, let's be real. We all love comfort food and, you know, it's not pleasurable to, to do that 24-7. Uh, so the question with that long-winded um, qualification is, what is your go-to post-fight meal? My go-to post-fight meal is always all-you-can-eat sushi. Really? As soon as I get home, <laughs> all-you-can-eat sushi. Um, there's this place called Kaizen, but um, actually there's uh, this guy that I coach his daughter at UFC gym, and he works at one of these high-end sushi restaurants in Vegas. And so after my last fight, he goes, I want you and your mom. I'll give you VIP treatment. Please come in. Um, the whole meal is covered. And I went in there. It's called Yellowtail. It's over at uh, Bellagio in Vegas. And so we got all dressed up. We went there. Best sushi of my life. So wow. if you're ever in Vegas, Yellowtail, um, Akira is the, the chef, and he is amazing. But I was like blueberry sake and it was just like oh it was so good but I, I love sushi but right after my fight as soon as I get done with my fight it's always late and so as soon as I get done with my fight I'm like all right pizza time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so right after my fight like the quick little I, I need my fix is pizza but when I get to sit down enjoy my meal my post victory meal is always sushi <laughs> were you in Vegas when the shooting happened I was. That, that was really scary. It was really sad. Um, it took a toll on a lot of people. Um, my sister had a lot of friends. Cause my sister just graduated. My brother is a freshman in high school. So they had a lot of friends that were at that concert Whoa. that uh, had friends get shot. And wow. it was really scary being, being a part of that, being right in our backyard. We were actually, the street that it happened on, we were right on that street the night before going to see a show. So it, it's so scary to think that, that something like that happened right here in our backyard. Jesus. Yeah. Um, okay. Who was, who is, was your biggest inspiration inside of MMA? Vander de Silva. Okay. (laughs) Um, he was my hero, but my biggest, like, uh, inspiration, Eddie Bravo for sure. Cool. Who is your biggest or who or what is your biggest inspiration outside of MMA? Uh, my dad, hands down. My dad's always been my hero. I've always looked up to him. Uh, he's an amazing man. He's always just had 
such a great way of keeping such a good balance in our lives as, as being a parent as well as a friend. And so he's always the one person that I know I can go to for anything. I always count on him for my training, but anytime I'm getting stressed out about anything, he always makes sure that he's keeping everything fun. Being a, um, a, a fighter is, is really hard. You have so much uh, damage all the time, like getting busted up, getting kicked, getting punched in the face. And so he makes sure that he always keeps it fun for me. He makes sure that I'm always in a good mood. He'll do anything for me. I, I'm at home at night, and I still live with my parents. I love them. They do so much for me, and he's always making sure, like, oh, I can get you some tea. And so being the kind of person that he is that's so giving and caring and making sure putting everyone else before him, himself, like that's the kind of person that uh, is the biggest inspiration for me. Hell yeah. I'll second that. And I'll say, hi, dad. I know my dad listens. <laughs> um, does your dad still train? You said that he had uh, kind of gotten you into training. Uh, after I got into it, he, he took a step back. He was like, yeah, I'm too old for this. I was just doing it for fun. But I mean, if I could be your coach, I'm going to invest everything in being in your coach. So he stopped training and he just YouTubes everything. He, he looks at YouTube books all the time. And honestly, he's the best MMA coach I've ever had. And some people, now that I'm getting at a, at a higher level, I'm ranked in the top 20 in the world. I'm on a four fight win streak. People are like, why didn't you train with extreme couture with champions? Why don't you train with team alpha male with champions? And so many people are in that old school mindset. This is what you need to do be, be to be a champion. You need to do this. You need to do that. And uh, honestly, I think wherever makes you happy, uh, that's what's important that you need to do. And my dad makes me happy. My dad is my hero. And I believe in him. And so the way that he's broken everything down, the way he runs practices, they're, they're exactly what I need at this point in my career. So with everyone's talking smack, saying that he doesn't have the credentials to be my coach, I'm like, no, I'm on a four-fight, one streak. So until I'm, I'm losing, the, I'm not going to listen to you guys. I love him as my coach. And... He can YouTube all he wants, and he's giving me the the best practices that I can get. Awesome. Um, any 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 person, MMA or not MMA, from history or the present, that you would like to fight inside of a cage. Inside of a cage. Um, I really want to fight Angela Lee. I really want to fight Really? Her. From one? Um, she's a 115er. She's being so hyped up. She's just incredible. Like, everyone, I love her. Like, she's a great person, but I just don't think that she is the best. And she's being hyped up as the best, as unstoppable Lee. And I'm like, I could beat her. And just my competent, like, competitive mindset, I'm like, oh, that's the girl that everyone thinks is the best. I can take her out. And so I would love to have the opportunity to fight her. And especially because she hit a twister in one of her fights. Yeah, and yeah. I just went crazy over it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could have hit a twister blindfolded against the girl that she fought. And so I was like, yes, let, like, let me fight her. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so I'm hoping for that eventually. Yeah, that's funny. I've actually tried to get her on the podcast before. Um, she's, oh, yeah. she's a champion for one FC who I think are based out of Singapore. Um, yeah. Wow. Cool response. Um, the last question that I had was, uh, a lot of people, you know, go to like the country of origin for certain martial arts. So people go, I mean, I guess less so down to Brazil to train BJJ, but a lot of people do go to Thailand to train Muay Thai. Do you have any aspirations again, because I talk a lot about travel on the podcast, do you have any aspirations to travel overseas to train anything? I would love to. At this point in my career, it's hard. 
Um, I last year I wasn't making much money at all. I'm I'm actually making good money this year, but I I need to I need to work. I need to work. I need to be with my family. Um, I'm just trying to get everything in order right now. I feel like once I'm kind of settled in, I'm making a name for myself in MMA. I'm making a name for myself in the other gyms that I work at. Um, I have everything I need to do. Then I'll start traveling. Uh, I love traveling. It's definitely something I want to do. Uh, but when I have the money, when I can't afford it, when I can afford to take the time off work and be like, all right, for a month, I'm going to Thailand and just doing, uh, Muay Thai. I'm going to Japan, just doing Japanese jujitsu. Like yeah. I would love to do that. That's definitely one of my dreams. And I think the biggest one for me is, is, uh, going to, to Brazil and doing jujitsu over there is one of the big things that I want to do on my bucket list. Awesome. All right. So I'll give you the floor for a minute. How can people find you? And if there's any sponsors or supporters that you want to plug, have at it. Uh, you guys can find me on social media. It's all the same. Kira Batara. Uh, I have my Instagram, my Facebook, my Twitter. I post daily. Uh, usually on my Instagram is the best way to reach out to me. If you guys want to DM me, uh, I'm always writing my fans back mail. So fan mail can be sent to UFC gym, green Valley here in Vegas. Uh, I, I respond pretty quick to that. I want to shout out to my sponsors, um, Palmer electric, Lana's egg whites, rev gear, pure nutrition, uh, holy sheets, battle bomb, sweet sweats, and probably forgetting some, but, uh, I can go. And um, Combate America is just for everything they do for me in the in the fight world. And um, you guys could check out my uh, fight December first. It'll be on NBC Universal. Um, I'll be posting more about that coming up. So follow me on Instagram. Uh, give me a a friend request on Facebook and follow me on Twitter for more. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much. I want you to stay on with me, uh, Kira. I'm going to. I hope you don't mind this. I'm going to read one of your face uh, one of your Instagram posts because I think. It, it's appropriate and it fits with the message that I'm trying to put out. Uh, but stay on with me after I close out, just so we, we can wrap up together. Okay, definitely. All right, so most people know that I work with teens and, um, you know, this podcast, I talk a lot about my own travel stories, but I want to have unique people on that are doing really interesting things that would be inspirational to people, such as Kira. And um, hopefully... I can put some positivity out into the universe. Right now, we need a whole lot of positivity. When I was a teenager, I was coming up during, 9-11 happened when I was in high school, and then I grew up during the, the Bush presidency, and it was tough, but I can't imagine being a young person right now in America today or in the world with all this craziness going on. And so I just want to read this post by Kira that I think... Uh, matches up really well with the message and spirit that I want to put out into the world. I'm going to close out right after this, so I'll give you my closing that I always do. Everybody out there, please take care of each other. All right, this is Gira on September 19th. I spent so much of my life being insecure, worrying about what other people thought of me. If I was wearing the right clothing brand, if I was hanging around the right crowd, if I was in the right sport. I wanted so bad to fit in. But the second I started to just embrace who I was, doing what made me happy, became comfortable in my own skin, all of my insecurities faded away. Once I became truly happy with myself, I started getting everything I wanted. 
I got friends that always stood by my side and supported my dreams. I chose a sport that became my career that was also my greatest passion. And I wear whatever the hell I want. Food, socks, fanny packs, and all. Happiness is contagious. So smile, spread that shit. It won't cost you a dime. Thanks, everyone. Take it easy.